How can you not get choked up a bit singing a, a praise like that? My sins are many. His mercy is more. As you're turning in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 5, working our way through these wonderful beatitudes, the opening words of the Sermon on the Mount. As you're turning there, let me ask you, what, what do you suppose would be essential for us as a church family if we're to continue to make an impact for the kingdom of heaven in our community, to represent Christ well in our community? What would be some of the essentials? You might say, well, of course, sound doctrine is an essential, isn't it? Gospel clarity is an essential for sure. And then you might actually personalize that question too. How will you be used of God to make a difference for the kingdom in your neighborhood? You know, you're meant to. And so am I. How will you make a difference for the kingdom in your classroom, those of you who are going back to school? Of all of the things that we might say, we, we have to be struck by the words of our king who says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Because he's describing kingdom people, the king's blessed people. Who are they? They're those who are merciful. There are those who are distinguished by their mercy. Are you merciful? Are you growing in this virtue that is mercy? Well, let's just read the Beatitudes in their context as we've been doing, and then we'll, we'll squeeze uh, Matthew 5, 7 some more. Verse 1, Matthew 5, And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is describing the nature of those who belong to his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. What are 
kingdom people like? Well, in these Beatitudes, beginning in verse 3, Jesus says they are those who are awestruck by their own deficiency before God. In light of God's holiness, in light of my sinfulness, how will I ever be one who is right with God? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have poverty of spirit before God. And then Jesus says, my people are heartbroken over this poverty of spirit. And, and they repent of this condition. They're, they're a repentant people. Blessed are those who mourn. Do you mourn over your sinfulness before God? Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. And as you've grieved over your sin, those of you who belong to Jesus, God does a work in you, doesn't he? You are humble before him. Needy. Blessed are the meek. And and you now crave a righteousness that you do not have. Baptism was a, a wonderful reminder of that. The sufficiency of our Savior to change us from the inside out, to give us life, eternal life, to wash us clean from our sins. Our sins will be remembered against us no more. And now, as God's redeemed people, we have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, don't we? We are not satisfied only to be declared righteous because God does more than that in his people. He makes us righteous. This is a progressive thing, but he makes us more and more righteous as Jesus is righteous. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you are being filled with righteousness, you cannot help then but manifest toward others the very graces of the gospel that you've experienced yourself. What graces? Well, for instance, says Jesus, there is mercy, verse 7. And and it's this first beatitude that deals exclusively with our behavior toward others. Mercy is to do with your treatment of other people, isn't it? My treatment of other people. God doesn't need mercy from you. Or from me. God doesn't need good works from his people. Other people do. What other people? As it turns out, all of them. All of them that God puts into our sphere of influence, if you will. Meekness, then, is an outward evidence of your repentance and faith in Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain Mercy. Now, this word mercy, which, which is all over the Bible, um, in the Old Testament, it's the word chesed, loving kindness, God's loyal love for his own. But let's just define it so that we start on the same page, so to speak. What, what is mercy? Well, the Greek word translated mercy here just means that it's to be kind, it's to be compassionate, it's to be giving and forgiving toward others, even toward those who offend you. Blessed are the merciful, says Jesus. It's not a sentimental thing. 
that doesn't care about righteousness and justice. We'll come back to that. But the merciful are not those who are just moved in their hearts. They're moved in their words and their hands and their feet and their wallets. Blessed are the merciful. Last week I was blessed to spend some time with a a couple from Spokane who were telling me about um, a mission trip they took a few years ago to Tanzania. And um, they were there with a group and, and just happened to notice while they were there serving with this group that among the Maasai people in that area, uh, it was common for fathers to sell their young daughters about the age of 12 or 13 because that was the age which, in which the, those girls would, would be expected to go off to school. Um, the families more often than not can't afford school and so um, the daughters are sold for, say, a cow or two. And we're horrified by this, I trust. Uh, but in that culture, it's become the normative thing. How many of you know sin has become the normative thing? And so for a, a man in that part of the world to buy a 12 or 13-year-old girl is monstrous. So this couple sees this happening. That's not why they're there, but they just notice this happening. And the Lord breaks their heart over this. And he fills their heart with mercy for these girls. And so they, long story short, they've begun a ministry called Faces for Hope, which is all about providing schooling and housing for young girls so that when they come of age, at that young age, um, the parents don't have to make or can't give as an excuse this business of not being able to afford school. And many of those girls go on to to go to college or they go on to learn a vocational trade and the cycle is broken. And I would submit to you that that is mercy. It's not just feeling sad about something, although that is really sad. It's getting your hands and your feet and your wallet involved to relieve the misery of someone else made in the image of God. Blessed are the merciful, says Jesus. The the Puritan Thomas Watson described mercy this way. He says, it's a melting disposition whereby we lay to heart the miseries of others and are ready on all occasions to be instrumental for their good. Wow. You learn a lot from these old dead guys, don't you? I I, I like that though it convicts my heart. Are you merciful? Is the virtue of mercy growing in you as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? How will our community be impacted for the kingdom? Well, of all of the things we could say, Jesus says, the community is meant to notice that my people are full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Remember, Jesus is describing virtues that typify his people. The the, the king's blessed people are merciful. In other words, mercy is not extra credit Christianity. Don't think of it that way. 
It's not like God has a varsity team and they are kind and they are compassionate and they are so full of mercy in the most practical ways. But you know, the junior varsity squad, not so much. They're they're unkind. They don't have any compassion. They look the other way in the face of need. No, it's not to do with that at all. This is Christianity 101. Why? Because it's a work of the Spirit of God. It's an evidence of life in Christ. Just as hunger and thirst are signs of life. When a baby is born, they don't go to how to be hungry school, how to be thirsty school. It just is. They're alive. How do we know God's people? are alive spiritually. Well, they, they hunger and thirst for his righteousness and they're full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, all of that is to do with mercy defined. And we're familiar with this definition of mercy, I trust. Let, let us just see mercy now in action. How many of you know uh, that mercy really finds its meaning in the disposition of God toward his people. In other words, our ability to even understand mercy comes in the context of God's treatment of his people. God's own mercy is not a sentiment. How many of you are glad for that? That God doesn't just feel kind of sad thoughts about you, about your plot your plight. When God chose his people Israel and he gave to them the law, um, he had already delivered them from bondage in Egypt. God's people didn't deserve that at all. They didn't earn that. It didn't happen because they had potential as his people. It was all of grace. And God, when he gave his people the law, which was not only the revelation of his nature to them, but the revelation of the best life God has for his people, he identified himself in the context of mercy. Who who is Yahweh? Who, Who is the one true God? He is the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He is the God who keeps mercy for thousands. To even understand God is to understand that he is merciful. Mercy is the very nature of God toward his own. And and God demonstrated outrageous mercy in light of his people's sin, did he not, in allowing sacrifices to be made, blood to be shed to atone for his people's sin. What what did God tell his people when those offerings were brought into the tabernacle, into the temple? Sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, God said. And what a foreshadowing that was of God's ultimate mercy in Christ. What, What was it that the angel said to Joseph in We read of this in in the opening words of Matthew's gospel. Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people 
from their sins. This salvation is not earned. It's not deserved. It's not a repayment for anything that God's people have done. It's all of God's mercy. And Jesus, God's anointed king, the the, the savior of his elect people, came into this world to be the mercy seat that we must run to if we're to have our sins forgiven. It's through his shed blood that we're made white as snow. Amen? And so the first thing we should think of as redeemed people when we think of mercy is the mercy of God in Christ. And having received this then, how can we not extend mercy to others? You see, mercy is by definition a reciprocal thing in that sense for God's people. Those who truly receive God's mercy become merciful themselves. This is the fragrance of Christ. This is the fragrance of belonging to God. Those who are still lost in their sins remain, um, by God's definition, unmerciful. Do you realize that the absence of mercy is a primary of trait of those who are apart from God? This, this is sobering to think about. Church people who lack any mercy have far more in common with the unsaved than they have in common with the people of God. You say, well, that just sounds monstrous. Because when you read in the scripture of those who are unsaved, those who are apart from God, what does it say? Well, you go to Romans 1, don't you? That's where we usually go for that description of those who are unregenerate, apart from the the new birth, apart from this miraculous work of the Spirit of God. And you get to that long list of darkness and sin. And it reaches a crescendo in a sense. Listen, listen to the crescendo. Romans 1.31 says that the reprobate, the unregenerate, are unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. The ungodly are merciless. The godly are, by virtue of the new birth, and increasingly as they are sanctified, Merciful. So let me just say, this is, it's at this point that the sermon starts, okay? All, all of that was just sort of groundwork to get us to a starting point. I want us to just look at three aspects of mercy. There are many more. I, I, it, it would be a productive thing, I'm being serious now, to have a conversation uh, this afternoon or, or Monday or whatever with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, mercy is you know, fill in the blank. I'll fill in the blank three times, the easy stuff, and you guys can work out the harder things yourselves. I want us to look at mercy as a response to need. Do you realize that you and I are surrounded by need every day? You don't have to go looking for it. It'll find you. Mercy as a response to need. Mercy as a response to offense. People sin against you. And against me. Turns out we do that to each other. And then finally, mercy as a response to the Great Commission. Let's, first of all, mercy as a response to need. 
um, we are um, paying attention in Matthew's gospel, if we, any of the gospels really, if we notice that one of the distinctives of Jesus' ministry, in addition to preaching the gospel of the kingdom, what, what's the gospel of the kingdom's message? Repent, for, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus went all over preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and with that preaching and teaching, Jesus demonstrated a heart of mercy toward people in need. God's people are called to meet the real needs that sin's curse has brought upon others. I'll give you just a couple of quick examples. And it's the heart of the king that these scriptures are highlighting. Matthew 9, 27 uh, tells us of two blind men crying out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. And what did Jesus do? He, he healed them. Matthew 15, 22, a woman pleading with Jesus for her daughter, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And what, what did the church people say? What did the disciples say? Get rid of her. She keeps following us around. And she won't shut up. What does Jesus do? He liberates her from that evil. And again, focusing on the heart of Jesus, the kind heart of Jesus. The impact of sin's curse on humanity is need. You can't look at humanity and not see need. You can't look in the mirror, by the way, and not see need. Mercy, then, is an active kindness toward needy people. Now, I mentioned in the the pastorgram last week that probably the the best known example of this is found in um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you are familiar with that, the the parable of the Good Samaritan? Um, It's found in Luke 10. Uh, 25 through 37. I, I would encourage you to write the reference down and look at it later if you're not familiar with it. But I'm going to um, assume some familiarity with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells the story of a man who is robbed and ravaged by thieves. Uh, he is helpless. Uh, he's badly injured. Uh, he is left for dead. Uh, he's, in, he, he's in great need. And a priest saw the man, (laughs) knew all about what was going on, and yet crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his merry way, ignored the need. In our vernacular, we might say just looked away. And then a Levite came and also looked at the man, saw the need, and did the same thing that the priest did went to the other side of the road to get away from the need and went on his merry way. So two outwardly religious men, church folk, if you will, who who cleaned up just fine and named God and knew all the songs, uh, nonetheless showed no mercy to that needy man. And, And you know the story. Along comes a Samaritan. And Jesus' first listeners would have been scandalized by that. There's no way a Samaritan would be the hero in any story, right? Half-breeds, the Jews regarded them as such. Um, 
their religion was corrupt. They had a different location for, for the temple. I mean, they were just pretty messed up people. And Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans returned the favor. Samaritan comes along. And the Samaritan sees the man, bandages his wounds, and then at great expense to himself, treats the man's injuries, puts him up in an inn, and agrees to pay whatever cost is incurred as this man gets back on his feet, so to speak. And remember, this parable was told in what context? Well, Jesus had been talking to a scribe, a self-righteous scribe, who wanted to be justified. He said, Lord, what, what, what does it take? Jesus says, you tell me. Well, you, you, we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right. Listen to this story. And then he says, in the story, who do you suppose really loved the neighbor? Well, the scribe had to answer correctly. He who showed mercy on the victim, right? And so Jesus says, go and do likewise. Mercy then is an active response to those in need. But here's the thing. It's also a litmus test for love toward God and love toward people made in his image. There there is a work of the Spirit going on in the people of God whereby our selfish hearts are, are being killed off in real time so that we are increasingly merciful. We are to be a people distinguished by our mercy. And as always, there is a need for wisdom, isn't there? Jesus, in showing mercy to those in need, never treated sin as an unimportant matter. Don't think that. So at the same time, we don't want to be pharisaical, like the the priest and the Levite, just sort of cold toward the needs of others. Um, And we certainly don't want to use religion as a cloak you know, to, to, to not show mercy to others. But how many of you know we also don't want to fall into a sort of foolish um, humanitarianism that, that just offers material or some other kind of help without really addressing what's going on with someone? How many of you know people need Jesus? And in any context, when help is given to someone outside the kingdom, Don't we also want to introduce them to the king if the Lord allows such an opportunity? In our experience as a church, I can think of many examples. I'm just going to give you two. There's a ministry that a lot of you are familiar with called Lazarus House. You know Lazarus House? A couple of houses, men who are released from the Kootenai County Jail are given a place to stay there, and it's real help, it's practical help, but it's in the context of gospel encouragement. It's a gospel-centered help. Open arms, many of you are not just familiar with, but involved in, in some way in the ministry of Open Arms Pregnancy Center. How many of you know that that ministry, specifically to women who are considering abortion or those who have had abortions, that is a mercy ministry. Kindness, compassion, real material help. People who actually have skin in the game, reaching out, 
But it's in a gospel context. It's a gospel-centered ministry. And I mentioned these as examples, folks. Do, do you guys care if this gets practical for a minute? Then we'll go back to the other stuff. We, we, we don't want to be people who confuse good intentions with mercy. Just having you know, feelings of sadness for someone else's plight in and of itself is not mercy. Mercy does not merely feel. Mercy acts. Now, all of that, you're still listening, all of that has to do with mercy as a response to need. Uh, how about mercy as a response to offense? And just, I read ahead. It's, it's rough sledding from here on out. Mercy as a response to an offense. I'm guessing almost everybody in this room already has something very specific in their minds bouncing around because somebody done you wrong. Their words cut you. Their behavior harmed you. And it's not an imagined thing. It's not that it doesn't matter or is insignificant. It turns out it's a big deal. Sin is always a big deal. So what, what does mercy look like? in the context of an offense. Well, God's people are called to forgive those who sin against them. Meaning what? We're not meant to be those who bear grudges. We're not meant to cancel people, just edit them out of our lives. We're not to withhold kindness, even from those who have withheld kindness from us. And you're thinking to yourself, this is outrageous. This is scandalous. And you're right. How many of you know the gospel is outrageous? You don't deserve to be saved, and neither do I. The gospel is a scandal because God has poured mercy upon his own. And then he says to his own, blessed are the merciful. This radical forgiving spirit is, is rooted in what we have received from God. We, we sang about that earlier. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Wow. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. You see, kingdom people know all about forgiveness because we've been forgiven much. Are you a forgiving person? Or are you by nature a scorekeeper? It's all tallied up. What he did, what she said, what they are. I suggested as well in last week's pastorgram that we read another parable of Jesus, very familiar to most of us, I trust, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Did anybody read that? Or you remembered reading it before, didn't you? All right, you get credit for that. But um, maybe write this down, Matthew 18, uh, 21 through 35. Um, you'll want to go back and look at this. I won't read the whole parable, but we, we 
many of us know this story. Jesus tells of a servant who somehow racks up an enormous debt. Um, He cannot possibly repay this debt. Not in a hundred lifetimes could he repay this debt. How did that happen? Well, maybe maybe he's a governor of of a king or something like that, and he embezzled some money. Uh, He's responsible to collect taxes, maybe, and just somehow the... Taxes didn't make it into the coffer, you know, that sort of thing. The point is not how it happened, but the debt itself. It might as well be immeasurable. That's how large it is. And the king comes and he wants to settle accounts with his servants. And he knows that this servant cannot possibly repay this massive debt. And he says, okay, then you're going to be sold along with your family until this debt can be repaid. And what does the servant do? He pleads. He begs. Give me a second chance. Give me more time to repay the debt as if that were somehow relevant. And the king does what? Jesus says in Matthew 18, 27, then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Immediately, that servant who was forgiven went out, and he ran into a fellow servant who owed him um, a comparatively small amount, and you know the story, was unwilling to forgive. In fact, he he grabbed his debtor by the throat and, and ignored his pleas for mercy and had the man thrown into prison. And you say, well, that's just wrong. Yeah, it is. And the king eventually heard that this had happened. And here's what he said. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Now, do you remember why Jesus told that story? Anybody? All right, that's okay. Um, One of the disciples, Peter who had heard the Sermon on the Mount and has now been listening to Jesus' teaching about the kingdom, the ways of the kingdom, heard Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. And Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Or Jesus, seriously, this forgiveness thing is going to get completely out of control. I mean, there, there has to be some boundary here on this thing called forgiveness, doesn't there? This is outrageous. Well, how much do you want God's limit to be when you consider the forgiveness you need from him? How about that measure? You see, the unforgiving person bears evidence that she, he or she has never tasted of this forgiveness from God. Not on God's terms. And so Jesus says, hey, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This is, this is what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. 
We don't earn mercy from God. If I just forgive enough people, if I just help enough needy people, God will show mercy to me. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, look, you who are merciful, you in whom this, this, this blossom of, of mercy is, is growing, you're kingdom people. You've come to God on his terms, destitute and desperate and crying out for forgiveness, and you've received it. And if that isn't you, you, know, you have no claim to have, having been forgiven by God. And so you'll not be when you're judged. How many of you know that your debt to God is incalculable? It's immeasurable because the holiness of God is infinite. No one could measure your offenses against God. How all of us have offended our king in thought and deed. And how many times have we been given that second chance? Anybody? We've been given thousands of second chances. More time won't help us. So what is our help and our hope? The mercy of God. We need forgiveness full and free, don't we? And we who know that, for the rest of our lives we're freely forgiven, how can we not then be those who show radical forgiveness toward those who offend us? Paul says this to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4 31, he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That means that the people of God, kingdom of heaven people, spend their days always thinking of that last phrase, even as God in Christ forgave you. Why? Because you're offended all the time, aren't you? I don't mean imaginary offense. I mean, we live in a fallen world where people offend each other, sin against each other. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, let me just end with this. And I don't mean right away, but we're getting there. Mercy as a response to need. Mercy as a response to offense, the need to forgive. And finally, mercy as a response to the Great Commission. How how many of you know that our outreach with the gospel is, is mercy motivated? Obedience, too. But God's people... Rescued as they are by mercy, long to see others rescued by God's mercy, don't we? You want to see other people get saved? Of course we do. I I mentioned Peter earlier. Listen to what Peter wrote. This is 1 Peter 2, 9. But you, believers, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who did that? God did that. You who once were not a people but are now the people of God. Who did that? God did that. Who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. We proclaim Christ to our neighbors 
to our coworkers, to our classmates. We support gospel laborers around the world. Why? Because we've received mercy from God and we want to see others taste this same mercy from God. Augustine put it this way. He says, if I weep for that body from which the soul is departed, how should I weep for that soul from which God has departed? Wow. If I weep for that body from which the soul is departed, how should I weep for that soul from which God has departed? We are surrounded, are we not, by people who are perishing, having never tasted the mercy of God. Oh, how mercy received motivates mercy proclaimed. A contemporary of Augustine, a fellow by the name of John Chrysostom, he preached a sermon about mercy, and he was talking to his people about how God called Israel to show mercy, even to the extent that if they saw a neighbor's donkey struggling under a heavy load, they were to jump in and do something about that. Their disposition shouldn't be, well, it's not mine, what do I care about it? And Chrysostom says this, he says, we should help a donkey which is struggling beneath a heavy load. Shall we not extend relief to those who are fallen under a worse burden of sin? And, and, and yes, we do live in a world that seems to care more at times about animals and their plight uh, than people made in the image of God. That's not saying we shouldn't care about animals. Of course we do. But how desperate is our world for the message of mercy from our King? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let me just ask you this. Does your practice of sharing Christ with others reflect that you are merciful? And you say, well, I, you know, be honest with you, I don't have a practice of sharing Christ with others. Can, can you honestly say then that you're a merciful person? Does our practice of praying for others' salvation reflect God's own merciful heart toward sinners? There's always the danger of these things being practical, right? And personal. Blessed are the merciful, says Jesus. Let me just end with this. We can be sure of this. As we're sitting here today thinking, oh my goodness, I've got a long ways to go in this mercy area. Anybody else like that? I am. I'm that way. Um, What's my hope? My sins, they are many. His mercy is more. This is not about my standing with God, okay? But here's the thing. Um, You get another turn at bat this week. Because probably before the day ends, you will have an opportunity to show mercy to someone. It may be trying to get out of this parking lot. I don't know. Now, I, hope, I hope that's not the case, but it's possible. And, let, and let, let's just say it's something more serious than that. Even as God in Christ forgave me, you see. When the, when the next person who crosses my path is a, is a sin-stained person, somebody whose circumstances have been made difficult by their own poor decisions, What's my response to that? Blessed are the merciful. 
kingdom people are merciful. And the thing of it is, guys, before the week is over, you and I both know someone will sin against you. And I'm not the only one in this room who seems to have the ability to remember every offense real and imagined against me. Some of you are like that too. Don't look at me like that. Oh, we're praying for you, Pastor. You know. Will the waters of baptism today remind us of this great fountain of mercy that has washed us clean of our sins against God? Blessed are the merciful, says the king, for, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful reality that when Jesus came into this world, the kindness of our God appeared. Lord, you are so merciful to your undeserving people. Lord, we thank you so much for doing everything necessary for our offenses against you to be forgiven, for our greatest need to be met, all of it due to your kindness. Lord, we thank you that those who came before us, motivated by mercy, proclaimed Christ to us, among us, that our hearts would overflow with gratitude, not just awareness. And Lord, we would cooperate gladly with your desire to make us merciful people. We ask you this, Jesus, for your namesake. Amen.